1: <laughs>
0: The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting
1: heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. And the podcast is also brought to you by OnX Maps. And with OnX Maps, you can know where you stand with the most accurate hunting GPS tech on the market with land ownership maps that work offline Go to onxmaps.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 20% when you sign up for an app membership at onxmaps.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, Go to gerbergear.com
0: and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the gator premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have.
1: We're also proud to partner with Sitka Gear, and if you go to sitkagear.com, you'll see their full line of clothing, and their tagline is Turning Clothing Into Gear, and they are doing that through advanced technology that allows you to stay in the field longer, hunt harder, and stay safer. The Elk Talk podcast
0: is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. Um... The, the Insider is changing how haunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop
1: and we are also brought to you by rocky mountain hunting calls and rocky mountain hunting calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used and to find out more and to order your elk calls go to rocky mountain or bugling and use promo code elk talk and you're going to save 15 percent on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories and with that Corey. We are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it.
0: Well, folks, the first time that we tried this, Corey, we ended up with a bad audio file.
1: Well, and I appreciate you saying we in that it was me that somehow had an issue. The headset had a short in it or something. We started off good, but by the time we were done, I realized we weren't recording any audio on my end. So,
0: I hope people don't think that we've quit the Elf Talk podcast.
1: (laughs) It's just
0: we've been busy. (laughs) Yeah. We've been busy re, uh, acquiring
1: material to talk about, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so here, where did you, take, take where, two, I guess, did, on the elk season recap, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we,
0: the first one was a mid season recap, <laughs> but when that audio file went south, It's taken us so long to get together again. I guess it's almost a season recap now instead of mid-season.
1: I know for me it's a season recap because if I go elk hunting one more time, I'm uh, I'm going to be in trouble on multiple levels. Really? I
0: leave tomorrow for Wyoming with my Uncle
1: Larry. And I
0: come home for Thanksgiving, and then I leave again for Arizona and then Wyoming. So... If I'm calling you and asking if I can have my mail forwarded to your house, (laughs) you'll know We will all understand. Uh. Uh, uh, And I'm suffering from the world's worst sinus infection right now, so it sounds like I have cotton in my ears. So if I'm talking really loud, it's because I can't hear anything with my sinuses plugged <laughs> up. So
1: I had something going on last week when we were together in Montana. My ears wouldn't pop and it sounded like I was in a pressure chamber the whole time. But and how are you doing now? Uh it seems to come and go. Like one day I'll wake up and be fine. And the right. next day I you know, I basically yawn all day trying to get my ears to pop and they won't pop. Something something well, sinus related.
0: Well, yeah, you just talked about our Montana excursion together do you want to start with that or end with oh, that Oh boy we better end with that yeah. okay Let, let's start because you've got your youtube series destination elk that's just started rolling out yeah. right
1: yeah we're uh just about okay. well we're just a little over a week into the series right now. And the first one is in Idaho. <laughs> we, you know, we so we started, Idaho starts August 30th, and our intention was our first hunt of the year was going to be hunting for Roosevelt elk in Oregon, which is a, a part two, a continuation of last year's hunt. And uh, we decided just to slip out for an opening day hunt here in Idaho that was really more of a recon mission just to kind of get an idea, see if we could find out where a few elk were so that when we come back from Oregon, we're able to get into them. But it, uh, it quickly escalated and we ended up packing elk meat for the first two days of Idaho's elk season. <laughs> <laughs> those are good scouting trips when you can scout during season and it turns out like that, but yeah so our our season kicked off August thirtieth in idaho, and uh Donnie and I went out and our camera guy John and we were just hunting locally here in idaho and we uh we located a bull the night before season and we kind of had that as our plan a and plan a didn't pan out we couldn't get him bugling opening morning, so we went and Honestly, we didn't have a plan B. It was just, hey, let's just drive around and hike out here and hike out here and just look for sign and see if we can find any rubs, see if we can get a bugle back. And we honestly parked the truck, left our packs in the truck, and just grabbed the bugle tube. And I told Donnie, grab your bow. We're just going to walk around the corner. And in case something fires off, you know, just, <laughs> we'll have the bow at least. Well, oh. two and a half or three miles later, we're on top of the mountain. And we have a, a herd bull that's firing off and fired up. And Donnie's already been at full draw on a raghorn. And we've had the herd bull within 60 yards of us twice. And we're sitting up there with no water, no food. John's camera batteries have six minutes left on them and we're, uh, have a decision to make. So, uh, you know, so, uh, we, we give a, we give camera guys a pretty hard time and we blame everything on mm-hmm. them, but, yeah I think john John kind of gave uh he gave himself and i think maybe even all cameramen uh, a little bit of a reprieve from the insults and injury we give him because he actually hiked all the way back to the truck middle of the day and i, I you know I say it's his fault because he forgot the batteries I could have continued hunting with no water and no food, but he couldn't have continued doing his job without batteries, so I guess. To a little bit of a degree, he he had the responsibility of walking back to the truck, but he walked all the way back and about three hours later, came back shirt off, just wringing wet and sweat. (laughs) <laughs> and my first thought is, holy cow, he has backpacks stacked on top of backpacks. He has all this gear. He brought food and water for us. And I'm thinking, what a great guy. And I went to tell him thank you. And he said, well, I'm pretty sure we're going to kill an elk this afternoon. I didn't want to be the only one with a pack packing, so I brought your pack for you. <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I don't know if I gave him credit now. He doesn't get as much credit for being a good guy, but it, uh, it turned out to be a good thing because Donnie killed a bull that evening and we needed our backpacks and our food and our water and our knives and everything else we had left at the truck that morning.
0: Oh, how cool is that? Huh? The the scouting episode that turns out to be
1: yeah a kill. Yeah, great great footage, great hmm. call in. It's uh you know we we do the day by day series, the Destination Elk, and it's basically they follow day by day on YouTube through our entire elk season and it often takes a handful of days especially hunting early like that to be able to have a successful hunt but this year we were able to kick off the premiere episode coming out of the gate swinging and packing elk meat so pretty exciting start to the series wow. for sure yeah
0: so where did it go from there did you finally get to we Oregon did. After that?
1: <laughs> yeah we got to Oregon uh <laughs> you know, we had a few days off we we wanted to hit Oregon a little bit later this year. Last year, we went opening day in Oregon, which was like August 24th or 26th. It was really early. And on our last day there, the elk were just starting to fire off pretty good. So this year, we wanted to go back and kind of pick up where we left off. So I think we got there, uh, it was sometime around that September 5th timeframe, middle of the week there. I think we left on the 4th. Our first day hunting was the 5th. And hunted with David Brinker, which if anybody who watched Destination Elk last year knows, Brinker's the guy who fell on the arrow and took one for the team there and really bumped up our YouTube views to be able to watch him lay there bleeding nearly to death. And he, uh, we teamed back up with him and first order of business was to make sure that his arrows were secure in his quiver, and uh, they were. But he, uh, he put us in some great areas. He hunted with us first day and then kind of turned us loose for the next three days. And we were into elk uh, literally immediately. And we got into elk every day we hunted those areas. And for anyone who listened to our recent Elk Talk podcast about non-residents, you know the story about us getting a note left on the truck. And, <laughs> you, guys and uh, are, you guys from Washington, right? Yeah, we we rented a truck because you know we have the the elk truck that we're giving away at the end of Destination Elk, and it's obnoxious. I mean, it's jacked up and has big tires and <laughs> it's completely wrapped in Elk 101 and Mountain ox, and it's not one you take and park at a trailhead if you want to be incognito. So we drove it to Oregon and then uh, ended up with a rental truck. And of course, the rental truck you get license plates from wherever they happen to come from last and. We parked there at the trailhead the one day and it uh, came back and there was a note that said locals only go back to Washington. (laughs) Uh, So We got a good chuckle out of it. And it's funny because, you know, you and I, we we got a lot of comments on that non-resident podcast, non-resident elk hunter podcast. Right. And uh, we posted the note immediately, like during elk season while we were in Oregon and we got, I think, over 500 comments on our Instagram post about it. And then you and I got a lot of comments. And then to promote the episode, once it launched on our YouTube channel, we posted another picture of the note on Instagram and it got another 200 comments or something. But the, the actual episode on YouTube is, let me just look here real quick something I'm sitting at the computer. Uh, we have... How many comments here? Non-resident elk hunters are not welcome. In five days, we've gotten almost 60,000 views and over 2,000 comments on that episode. Wow. So that episode also, not only did we get the nasty gram, uh, another hunter shot an elk that we were calling in when it was about 70 yards from us. And so we actually filmed their elk standing there with an arrow stuck in it in our shooting lane. <laughs> so it was uh, we, we had a good, a good uh, test of patience and obstacles uh, that day.
0: Uh, <laughs> I've never had that happen. I've, we have had an instance where we were waiting for filming light, watching a bull, so it's legal shooting light, but we need an extra 15 or 20 minutes of good camera light. And kaboom! <laughs> <laughs> someone, someone shot the elk. Uh, but never never had it happen in an archery hunt like that.
1: Yeah, that was uh, unfortunately not the first time. Last year when we were in Oregon hunting Roosevelt elk, the same similar incident happened. We had a actually had three bulls come into us, one of them very fired up and vocal. And all of a sudden it got quiet and we heard branches breaking and the two smaller bulls were slipping up the ridge behind us. And so we ran up on the ridge trying to intercept them and they kind of bounded off and we could hear voices (laughs) and look down the hill 80 yards and there's two hunters down there standing over a nice Roosevelt bull that we never heard them bugle. I think they were, they just happened to be in the right place at the right time and Shot the elk and either of these incidences were, you know, I don't feel that the hunters were in the wrong at all. I don't think there was any kind of devious intentions trying to slip in on a bull. They just happened to be there and the bull happened to be on that line coming to us and they were in the right place at the right time. Uh, well, I'll take that.
0: I mean, I, I guess what I'm going to do next year, I'm just going to follow around in the woods. <laughs> and when Corey calls an elk and I'm just going to go set up a little bit a little bit downwind. Oh, of it. man. I'll, I'll look for those Washington plates yep. out there on that rental rig, and that's what I'll do. <laughs> but, so did you guys end up getting an elk in Oregon?
1: Well, we, uh, we hunted with Brinker for the first four days and then we, uh, you and I talked to Shannon Mobs and Corey Ford from Angry Spike Productions earlier in the year about Roosevelt hunting. And we had an opportunity to team up with them for, uh, five or six days. Yeah. And another, another crazy cool. encounter we had, we, uh. We we learned a ton this year about Roosevelt hunting just through our experience last year and be able to apply it this year, and then hunting with with Shannon. Shannon is just the Roosevelt elk calling guru. I've just I've come to realize that through talking to him, but then seeing him in action every single day that we hunted with him, we were we were yeah. not only into elk and seeing elk, but we had close encounters with Roosevelt elk and. Yeah, it was super exciting and mature elk too. You know, I think, uh, I didn't come to full draw on the one, but I'm trying to think how many times I was at full draw or at least in shooting range of six point Roosevelt bulls, which that's, that's a rare animal from everything I've gathered over several years of dreaming about hunting Roosevelt elk. But, uh, we, we, we went back in deep and I'll share a few more uh, strategies that, that worked for us here, but we went back in deep on one. We located it from across the Canyon. You basically spend five or six hours in the brush trying to bust your way to get to this elk. And as, as far away as they'll answer for a location once you get on the same hillside as them they can't hear you and you can't hear them and so you have to be two or three hundred yards from them most of the time before you actually get another response and so we'd spend five or six hours most days just trying to get on top of the bull knowing he's there on the hillside somewhere just looking for that needle in the haystack and so we went back in got on a bull he ended up coming in but he was had the you know advantage on us he was uphill and we just couldn't get him into the setup there And so we're making our way back down the ridge, looking for a bull that had bugled earlier, and two bulls fire off across the canyon. But at this point, we're only maybe 800 yards from the bottom of the canyon, which is where the road is, and they're maybe 400 yards up the other side. And I think they're making their way down to the bottom where where water is. And so we make our way down, start back up, and we climb the hill about 300 yards. The elk are actually down below us, which is where we wanted them because the wind was coming up at that point. We drop down a little, get the same level, and and are working in. And Shannon had kept telling me, if you get in thick with these things, if you're in that tight brush, just plow through the brush right at them. Just put an arrow on and (laughs) go right at them. And he said, a lot of times they'll stand there and stand their ground. You can walk right into six or eight yards of them and shoot them right there in the brush. And I'm thinking, first off, there's no way they're going to stand there with as much noise as we're making through the brush. And second off, I don't want to be eight yards from one of these giant Roosevelt bulls that thinks I'm another Roosevelt because yeah. I might just get ran over. But it, uh, <laughs> we saw firsthand it works. We plowed through there and I bumped into the bull at eight yards. And typically when that happens, you know, for us, it's, it's gone. That bull leaves and he's three miles away. Yeah. The bull ran 20 yards and turned around, started chuckling again. And it was game on. We started pushing through the brush. We played that cat and mouse game in the brush for, I don't know, 20 minutes and finally broke out on the other side into a nice shooting lane, a good little open ridge. And we were 60 yards above the road at that point. Wow. And you can guess what happens when you're hunting elk right next to a road we look down, there's a cow elk feeding on the grass on the edge of the road and a truck comes along and they see the cow and they jump out with uh, obnoxious cow calls in hand and start chasing the cow. There is no fault at all. We had done the same thing if we had come around the corner and seen a cow. Uh, But we're standing there, you know, in within 35 yards of a bull that's fired up and they start cow calling and the bull had heard the truck come around the corner. So he leaves and goes up the hill but another bull 100 yards up above us fires off and so we realized we've got to get up there to him because these guys are going to hear him and be right behind us and we didn't want to start bugling thinking man they're going to think that we're another elk and get him even more excited so we headed towards the bugling bull got within uh, 40 yards of him and shannon started calling i move up and set up on the ridge we can see his antlers at 25 or 30 yards just over the ridge and all he has to do is come up over the ridge And I look to my left, and there is a guy sprinting up the hill 20 yards to my left. And the bull's 25 (laughs) yards ahead of us. And so I look over and I cow call, and the guy looks at me and cow calls back and keeps going up the ridge. So I move up, I'm thinking, if he wants a foot race here, I will foot race him knowing that now we've ruined any opportunity of actually calling the elk in. So I move up the hill about 10 yards, hoping that he'll bump the bull and the bull come over the ridge on our side. Well, the bull turned and went straight up the ridge and got up there 80 yards and started barking. So the guy pops out on the ridge, 35 yards above us, and I cow call to him rather aggressively and frustratedly. And he turns around and looks at me. So I give him the two hands up in the air like, what are you doing? Yeah. And he waves me off. Uh. He literally <laughs> gave me the hand and waved me off towards the truck. So uh. we, uh, as frustrating as it was, we took the high road and dropped back down to the road. And it was almost, I mean, we were basically almost out of shooting light at that point, but that bull was as good as, as good as dead i think because he was right there he was fired up we had perfect wind he just had five yards to walk over the ridge and he would have been 25 yards and in the open which doesn't happen in that country but we uh i don't want to give a spoiler alert for this one but uh last year donnie didn't even have an opportunity and uh this year with as good of action as we were into uh well, you'll just have to watch the series on the Elk One One YouTube channel to see how it all turned out.
0: Come on, Corey, we're doing a season <laughs> recap. And you're giving uh, everybody the the teaser I, uh,
1: here. I will share, I think we have uh, either seven or eight successful hunts this season on our YouTube series. So you can do the math when we're done with the with the recap here and see see if it ties into this hunt or not. All right. I'll I'll cut you that slack,
0: but don't be doing this anymore. I mean, you you get people all wound up, and then it's like, well, I better not
1: say. Come on, but that's that's good marketing, right? You give them the teaser and then send them to the final to catch the all right, catch the conclusion, right?
0: I guess so. I, I I'm not very good at this stuff. I'm an accountant, not a marketer. So uh, <laughs> I just tell people what happened and say. If you want to go watch it, go ahead. If you don't, I hope you're at least hunting. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, how,
1: how was your uh, what was the start of your season like, your early um, part of September? You know, I,
0: I I was uh delinquent in getting out in the elk woods cuz I was busy helping other friends who had tags. I was in Nevada on a pronghorn and deer hunt. I was in Arizona on a pronghorn hunt. And while I was doing that, our crew, Michael uh, Parente, he lucked out and drew one of the Wyoming random tags in a pretty darn good unit. And uh, I, I guess before I continue past that point, I'm trying to figure out, the sanity or insanity of applying my crew for tags in the same units I apply for. <laughs> You're lowering your own draw on. Huh? Yeah. I pay the freight. I pay for their licenses, their permits, everything. And Marcus and Michael and I, we all applied for this same unit. Well, Michael gets one of the three random tags. It's out on our YouTube channel. He goes down there and on the third day, I think it was. He shot a nice six point. Uh, it, it, Michael, this is his first time he's ever had a limited entry tag. He's only been elk hunting a couple of years now. And uh, the first day he airballs a very nice ball. And Michael <laughs> is by far the archer in our office. He, he you, you put him out on a range at 100 yards, He'll put them in there so tight. And then to have a 30-yard shot out in the hill, uh, and he missed, I think for him it was just uh, an awakening of how exciting it is when a bull elk (laughs) is standing there screaming at you. Grown men end up doing things they could never imagine themselves doing and uh (laughs) but the good news is he redeemed himself on the next one uh and then marcus and his wife kara in their normal montana fashion went out and opening weekend kara shot a bull that's out on our youtube channel um, and then I went in with the Gerber guys, uh, the president, Andrew Gritzbaugh, and one of the product is development guys, uh, Carson Coivisto. We went into, well, I told them if this is the week that fits your calendar, we are here to disprove the theory about full moons. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still bullheaded enough to not believe that whole full moon thing. But we went out the day before the peak full moon, and the first day we actually did hear two bulls. The next two days, we did not hear a bull. They they got some spot and stock opportunities during that absolute full moon peak. I think it was just my bad calling. Um <laughs> Still not convinced it was full moon? No, still not convinced. And then the last two days, both of them had close encounters, but nobody got to to release an arrow, Um, you know, brush in the way or just the bull wouldn't stand still, cows move them off or you know how it is. Uh, Just when you think it's there, it's in your grasp. All of a sudden – it slips through your fingers. And, uh, (laughs) so that was, uh, that was that hunt here in Montana. And then I, I sent the crew down to film my buddy, Scott Jones down in Nevada and Scott drew this really, really good tag, which I don't think there are any bad tags in Nevada. And Scott is the most meticulous archer I know. He's in a accomplished archer who has shot so many animals with his bow but he warned me in advance he said randy i love having your crew here but there's a very good chance i might pass every opportunity that comes if it's not the perfect shot i said okay (laughs) i'm fine with that and then i see the footage then i'm thinking scott that looked like a perfect opportunity (laughs) <laughs> but you know, camera angles are often different than the angle the shooter has or whatever. Uh, and so they called in all these bulls in Nevada, had a close encounter every day and Scott went home with his tag in his pocket. But wow. it's, If you want to see a lot of really nice bulls and some good bugling activity, that one's out there on our YouTube channel. And, uh, it's, I, I just have a ton of respect for Scott Jones and the way he does things. And, you know, it, it's interesting when you read comments or on social media, say like YouTube, where people are allowed to comment, of how many people, there, there's, I'd say it's split right down the middle on Scott's hunt. How many admired that he was only going to take the shot that he was absolutely comfortable with? And then how many of them, gave the comment of what a knucklehead i'd have have been shooting 20 yards sooner blah 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 and so you kind of open yourself up to the i guess the the comments of the world anytime you put something out there like that absolutely uh, okay so that kind of got us through our september as far as elk hunting i I ended up the last—I think it was September 22nd. I ended up heading to British Columbia for mountain caribou and moose, and those were well. When you do a 10-day hunt and it takes three days of travel on each side, <laughs> that really messes up your archery elk season. Yeah. So you. But we make up for
1: rifle season. As you say, so you spent the second half of September not in elk country. Yeah.
0: Unfortunately, but <laughs> well, I knew you were out there. I knew you were carrying the torch, Corey. So I thought, well, the world of elk hunting is in good hands if Corey and Donnie are out there.
1: Well, that's uh, that's yet to be seen, I guess. But we uh, we did come back from Oregon about that same time frame as when you were up chasing moose and caribou, and we hunted uh, just just here in Idaho, just over the counter public land, uh, area we've been hunting for several years. And I was excited for a couple of reasons. You know, we had, uh, I think we ended up with eight days. Donnie's already tagged out. So there's, you know, typically we only have six, seven, maybe eight days to hunt. And a lot of times there's two or three of us with a tag. And so what that yeah. really amounts to is each of us getting two or three days max to actually get it done you know because we we rotate off every day we switch who the shooter is and the other person is the dedicated caller and we don't even pack a bow as a caller and i know you know we get a lot of comments about that too that that's that's ridiculous what if the elk circles around you and you know you miss out on that opportunity and there have been times we have missed out on that opportunity but i think it focuses us as the caller and we realize our only responsibility is to get that bull in front of the shooter and there's none of that oh man that's a big bull or that bull's come and blow me I'm gonna you know deviate from the plan here I'm gonna go call it in for myself or I'm gonna try to slip in and get a shot it yeah. I think with the, with a focused approach we we have more opportunities than those chance opportunities that sometimes come through the back door but uh this year I had you know 7 or 8 days where I was the only shooter knowing that I was also going to have an opportunity to hunt with my 14-year-old 14-year-old daughter Jessie who yeah. wanted her first elk to be with a bow so we uh we hunted a couple days uh right you know as we got back and got into a couple elk but it just it I don't know if they were pressured uh we were having troubles finding elk a little bit we were into them but just not the you know, that September 17th, 18th, 19th rut fest we should have been into. And that Friday, uh, my daughter didn't have volleyball practice. So I picked her up as soon as school was out and we headed out. And we got to hunt on e-bikes this year. And it's, it's pretty cool. And by the end of this episode, uh, I think I'll have listed four or five different modes of transportation and packing out Animals, But e-bikes were one of the coolest modes that we got this year. And I know they're, you know, you got to know the regulations where you're at. We actually took them to Oregon with us and found out that while they are allowed in the areas we were hunting, the Fish and Game has a travel management agreement with some of these areas. And they're illegal to use to hunt with. So while you can ride them in there, if you want to just tool around, you can't actually hunt on them or use them for hunting. So we found that out after we toted them all the way to Oregon. And fortunately, we (laughs) found out before we used them so they stayed at camp the whole time. But uh, here in Idaho, we've got a couple places that, you know, it's a, it's roaded. They're good roads, but they're gated and it's non, non non-motorized. And we were able to actually use those to get back in four or five miles a couple times and honestly get in there in 12 or 15 minutes. So, uh, Pretty awesome mode of transportation. So with my daughter, we actually, there were, we had three of the bikes, and there were uh, Donnie, I, and, and the camera guy. And so we took the trailer that was meant to be used to pack out elk meat, and we rigged it up for my daughter to ride on, and we towed her <laughs> back in there
0: on the trailer. It's kind of funny. She's got
1: these pillows and blankets all stuffed around her, and she was she looked as comfortable as could be back there just tooling along in the trailer. But... Uh, <laughs> We got back in there, and and Jessie is one of those, you know, she's my only daughter, and so I don't have a a whole lot of other experience with girls to to judge on, but when you ask her or tell her to do something, it's like immediate. And it is to perfection. She just, she's one of those ones that picks up a bow uh, or basketball. She loves basketball. And so I I spent three minutes showing her shooting form and she has not deviated from perfect shooting form in the last four years on any shot she's taken. And Archie's kind of the same. She's just, she's money. And so we shot before we went out uh, at 30 yards, she's shooting like a two inch group. And I told her, okay, here's how it's going to work. We'll get the bull going. Donnie's going to be the caller. I'm going to be right next to you. I'll tell you when to draw and just draw as smooth as you can. I'll make sure that, you know, the bull can't see you when I tell you to draw. And then when he gets in a shooting lane, I'll cow call, wait for him to stop, make sure he's broadside, put the pin right behind the shoulder and and shoot. And it worked out just like that. The bull was across the across the knob from us. He actually went away from us. He didn't want pressure. When he first started bugling, he was bedded and had a weak bugle. And we chased him for a couple of ridges and he was going over the next ridge, dropping off the backside. He could barely hear his bugle. And so I went quiet. And about 15 minutes later, I hear him start bugling again and he's coming back up. And I told Jesse, he's, he's curious. He's a little nervous about where we went to. And he bugled, I think he bugled six times on his own coming up the backside of that ridge. And uh, he got to the ridge and bugled and was looking, just scanning across on our side. And he turned to leave and I screamed at him and he couldn't handle it. And he came in on a string and he was at about 40 yards, came through some trees and I told her to draw. She drew and he came into this beautiful shooting lane at like 28 yards. Well, everything was, was perfect up until the point I went to cow call and my diaphragm was turned sideways in my mouth. I don't know if you ever had a diaphragm sideways in your mouth, up in the roof of your mouth, but it, uh, it's not just a quick little spin with your tongue to get it aligned. I'm, I'm sitting there trying to pull it down and get it spun around. And I could tell Jesse was like, why are you not cow calling? This elk is walking through a 15 yard lane and he's about to leave the shooting lane. And I finally got spun around at the last second and let out a quick cow call and he stopped. But I think what happened was she was ready as soon as I cow called. And as soon as I cow called, she didn't immediately shoot, but she quit following the bull and the bull took another half a body length step before he came to stop. And she waited for him to stop and then shot, but she ended up hitting him back a little bit. And... Uh, right you know, I immediately reassured, her, Hey, no problem. We're at the bulls. You got it in the body cavity. He's going to die and we're going to find him. And so it was, uh, we had about 30 minutes of, of light left there. And so we ended up backing out overnight, coming back in the next morning. And it was a tough track job. There's, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was Elker tough and uh, she hit it far back, but we, uh, it yeah. took us probably three hours the next morning and we only had, I don't know, 10 drops of blood after the initial first hundred yards. And he went another, I don't know, 400 yards probably. Uh, but I could tell immediately he wouldn't turn and even take a step uphill. He was, it was all downhill and in a creek bottom. And uh, when we did, when he did take a step uphill, I told her it's, it's over. He's dead. He's going uphill to try to get a little bit of a vantage point to watch us. And we went another 20 yards and he was laying there dead. So that was, a wow. uh, <laughs> that, that made my season right there, yeah. just, you know, 14-year-old little girl and shot her first elk and shot it with a bow and to be able to share that experience and and then to be able to capture it all on film. It was, uh, I told Donnie after that, even if I don't kill an elk in Idaho from this point on, it, uh, that was worth my season right there.
0: Oh, for sure. That's, I don't know how you would, uh, no matter what you did for the rest of the year, it's not going to compare to that. No,
1: no. And she, you know, like when we are tracking that elk and that's the hard part, I've been on enough of those track jobs that they're 50, 50, you get an arrow in a shoulder blade, a, an arrow in a, you know, that high area of the void up in the back, something like that. And you ha- you hold out hope, but in the back of your mind, you know, you're not going to recover that elk. It's just shoot them in the shoulder blade. They aren't a vital hit. Um, but if you get it in that body cavity, I... I would challenge anybody that elk is dead. He's going to die. Yeah. But those can be incredibly tough track jobs. And a lot of times you don't recover that elk uh, just because you can't follow a blood trail. And if you get in with a whole bunch of other elk, you don't know which track is which. We were incredibly fortunate that that was the only elk in this canyon. And anytime I saw a fresh track, I knew it was him. So we're able to keep on the track, even though we didn't have blood. But in the back of my mind, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, there's, there's a chance we might not find this elk. I promised her we would, and I'm not giving up at all until <laughs> we've, we've gone through everything we can and then some. But I kept looking back at her, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Expecting her to say, I don't know, where are we going to find this elk? And she just smiled the whole time. I'm great. This is fun. And I think she just, you know, had that hope that, we're going to find this elk. My dad said, we're going to find it and everything's good. So there wasn't that, that doubt at all in the back of her mind. And that was fun to see. It was refreshing to see. Cause I think the guys I hunt with, we've been in that situation enough to know that we build each other up. But a lot of times it's just, Hey man, it's, it's all going to be good. We're going to find this bull. Just, we'll just keep going, you know, trying to push each other, but yeah. saying it, knowing, Hey, yeah, there's a chance. It's, it's looking pretty, pretty grim here. Oh, that's cool. Well there you let the cat yeah, so out you let the cat out of the bag oh, with that yeah. one, Tori. Yeah, you've gotta watch that episode. That's uh the camera right over her shoulder, me tucked up right next to her whispering in her ear, Go ahead and draw and it was uh Pretty incredible. Plus, you get to see us pack an elk out on an e-bike. <laughs> which, uh, I forgot to mention, Donnie's elk, he shot opening day. We used motorcycles. We actually we were in about three miles, and uh, there was a motorcycle trail about three quarters of a mile from where he shot it. So we went back and got the motorcycles and rode them in there. And uh, I, I told him at the end of the—when we got back to the truck and had all the quarters in there— The next time I suggest packing out an elk on a motorcycle, remind me about this experience and we'll pack it out on our backs. (laughs) I don't
0: have a motorcycle.
1: Yeah, I got them just so we could get into some more remote country where there's motorized trails and we never used them to access the country. We used them that one time to pack out the elk and it was a mistake, but so are you saying that on
0: your website there's motorcycles slightly used motorcycles for sale
1: (laughs) (laughs) no i'm gonna i think using them to access country is good but we're gonna have to talk about llamas here in in a little bit because you uh i wouldn't say you converted me but you opened my eyes to some potential that i hadn't recognized before yeah well
0: uh while I was in British Columbia, I'm my employees are still on the probationary period after what happened. <laughs> when I left on September 22nd, I told them, between the three of you, Michael, Dan, and Dale, you guys have to go and hunt elk every morning and film it. Rotate, you know, one guy hunting, one guy filming, blah, blah, blah. I get back from... Man, uh, and they're getting paid for this, yeah. right? So I get back to Montana on October 6th or 7th. There's not one piece of footage of them elk hunting. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, guys, did you think I was kidding when I said your job description means you go and hunt elk every day in September? So we'll we'll find out next year. I doubt that anybody's going to not get the memo next September. <laughs> or are you you'll looking be to... having yeah yeah. Well we will be finding new people who want to hunt out.
1: I was just gonna say are you are you hiring? Because I may send in an application. If you're paying people and forcing them to elk hunt every day of September, that's man. Yeah. And then they don't do it. Mm. Well, yeah. It is it right. does sound like it's too good to be true. So, maybe they just thought you were kidding.
0: I was, they, they found out when I got home, I was not kidding. <laughs> Fortunately, what bailed us out from a content standpoint at that time is my buddy Bo Beatty, the llama man. He and I were talking last January when the Wyoming draw deadline came. He said he had six points. I said, Bo, I'd really like to, uh, help you get this tag. I think you might drop because there's some trends going on here that this could be the year you might drop. Sure enough, he drew it and he and his friend camera guy, Tyler went down there and he shot a really, really nice bowl, super nice bowl, uh, with his llamas. They had to change their camp, go back to a, the trailhead, go all the way around these canyons, hike in nine and a half miles and set up a spike camp. And then from there, from their spike camp, they still shot the bull another four and a half miles from there. So I'm, I'm just getting too old where there's no way what's at a total of 14 miles. There's no way I'm packing elk out 14 miles. Yeah. But with a, a big string of llamas, Bo got it done. So that's awesome, but uh, yeah, so anyone looking for a job in the outdoor space stand by folks. Uh,
1: <laughs> I, well to- let, let me let me post my job opening first here. okay. so we uh, I'll, I'll skip my Idaho hunt. We can come back and talk about it but since we're talking about job openings, my youngest son Sam, who is 12, uh, turned 13 two days before rifle season opened and he broke his leg in August skateboarding. And he's not a skateboarder. He got on a skateboard basically for the first time in a second and a half later, he was laying on the ground with a broken leg, which I think is probably a pretty normal experience for people yep. standing on skateboards. But yep. he uh, spent seven weeks in a boot letting his leg recover because the, the fracture went through the growth plate and the Friday before, so opening day was a Tuesday, the Friday before he got cleared with an X-ray that his leg had healed and he could take the boot off. I didn't realize I've never broken a leg. I didn't realize how much your muscle atrophies when you're in a boot for seven weeks. Even you know, like I could see an older person, but for a 13 year old who's an active athletic kid, his leg was about half the size of his other leg. And so even with the boot off, he's still limping pretty good and, you know, doesn't have a lot of leg strength to get up and down the mountain, but he was a trooper. And I had found a a herd of elk the previous week and kind of kept tabs on them, just sitting back a mile away, listening to them bugle every night and figuring out where they were going every morning. And so opening morning, we were in and set up at a little vantage point. And it was hit and miss. One day they would go up the back side of the ridge. The next day they'd go up the front side of the ridge. And fortunately that morning they came up the front side. And Sam was uh, was set up, had the shooting sticks, the bull came into a shooting window, and he pulls the trigger and click. And I looked down and the bolt <laughs> open on his right. <laughs> so by the time he reached down and closed the bolt and got back on the shooting lane, the bull had walked through it and and was gone. And I'm thinking that was your chance, buddy. That's we we aren't getting another chance here. But as luck would have it, this season we uh, the bull went over the back of the ridge, hit the thick timber, still didn't know we were there, and uh, well, he did. He knew we were there because we were calling to him, but he didn't know he was being pursued by hunters. And we got on the ridge and started kind of paralleling him, and found a little open lane, and he popped out into it and turned walking straight away from us down the hill and just as he got to the bottom of the the open window there he went to turn to the right and step out of it and I bugled and he bugled back stopped broadside and bugled back and Sam squeezed off a shot and Sam missed but again, fortunately, the elk was full bugle and couldn't tell, you know, he heard a loud sound, didn't know what it was, didn't know where it was coming from. And he turned 180 degrees broadside in the same shooting window and stood there. And Sam made do, shot him, dropped him. The bull stood back up. Sam shot him again, dropped him for good. Both shots were perfect right behind the shoulders, like 160-yard shot. And so we're hugging and celebrating. Cool. And I turn around to uh, to my camera guy who... John is our normal camera guy, and John is just, he can spot elk from behind the camera, he can film elk from behind the camera, and with all of his camera gear, he packs as much elk as <laughs> <than> he <media. laughs>
0: I have a feeling where this is going.
1: Yeah, John wasn't available that day. So I had called Tyler, who works for me in customer service and does some marketing for the online course, and said, hey you've been talking about wanting to get into filming. you want to come down and video a hunt? I'll set the camera on all auto settings. All you have to do is point it at the elk and hit record. Yeah. Yeah. You know where this one turned out. I turned around, to, <laughs> <laughs> turned around to give a fist bump to Tyler and he hung his head and he said something to the effect of, do I need to turn in my resignation now? Yeah. <laughs> in all of the excitement, he videoed everything. He just forgot to hit the record button. So we have a whole Uh, bunch of really cool action and bugling of us in close to an elk bugling, Sam getting up on the ridge. But from the time we got set up to the time, Sam pulled the trigger and we celebrated. There was no footage. So I I asked Sam, he said, what should we do with Tyler? And he said, first thing, he didn't even hesitate. He said, fire him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, we... We do not have a job opening. We are not firing Tyler. Tyler was, he felt horrible, which, you know, I can. Oh, I bet. It's not the first time that's happened. And I kept telling him, hey, don't worry about it. I'm sure Sam will have plenty more opportunities to shoot his first elk and, and rubbing it in. <laughs> 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 uh, Tyler, oh, yeah. Tyler has been completely forgiven for that. And he uh, his job is not in jeopardy over not hitting records, so we don't have a job opening Hmm. yeah well
0: I'm sure my uncle Mike wishes the camera wasn't recording on our next trip when we went to New Mexico (laughs) we went down there and so you got to understand my family my mom has six brothers and they love to give each other the rhubarb all the time and so a bit of that is kind of rubbed off on me and I pick, I head down there, I meet Mike, he drove down from Minnesota. We get there, let's see, Thursday afternoon, got camp set up, go scouting, season opens Saturday morning, walk out there, look over the first little draw, and here's about a 330-inch six-point with two smaller bulls feeding. I'm like, this never happens. So... We watch them. We sneak out of there. That was kind of our scouting for the night. And I'm telling Mike, now, could you shoot that one at 300 yards? Oh, if I can see him, he's as good as dead, he keeps telling me. (laughs) All right. You know, of all the people in the family, he says, if you're going to have someone at the trigger at the moment of truth, I'm the guy you want. All right. You know, Mike, uh, there's the old saying you should brag about your shooting after the hunt. (laughs) Uh, So we go out there Friday morning, relocate that bull, leave him. The wind starts howling. I'm like, let's go look around. We go look around, don't find anything. Go back out there the night before season opens. So later that evening, find him again. I'm thinking this never happens. A bull of this size never stays a half mile from the trailhead, slightly uphill every day you go and look for him. There's no way he's going to be there tomorrow morning. But, you know, they are in this post-rut mode, and they don't move much then. So we're back at camp that night. Mike's talking about how that, if that bull's in the same place in the morning, he it, I should just punch my tag right now, he says. <laughs> All right. So we get to the trailhead. We're the first people there. We hike up there. The the sun is all messed up. I can't see anything, so I skirt around a little bit more to the to the east, so the sun would be at my back. And there is that ball a hundred yards away from where we left him the night before. Man, yeah that that this episode is get it's starting to air on our YouTube channel right now. So. We wheel up there. We sneak and get set up. I range it 320 yards. And before we got up to the rock where Mike was going to shoot from, I said, no, Mike, it's going to be 300, 320, something like that. You good? Oh. <laughs> that, that thing, he doesn't know it, but he's taking his last breath right now. It says. <laughs> huh? Okay. So we didn't record all this on the YouTube episode. We don't want to rub it in that bad. But we get up there. Mike gets all set up. Finally, the bull—the bull is bedded the whole time. Finally, the bull hears us whispering, and he stands up. He's looking our direction, but he's broadside, trying to look into the sun to see what's going on. And I'm thinking, are you going to shoot Mike? Are you going to wait for this bull to die of old age? Are you going to shoot him? Finally, he shoots, and it—it it is so. Uh, I. I I don't know what happened, but suffice to say he missed right over his back and the bull didn't even flinch. The bull just looks back at the hillside where the dirt flew up. Like, what was that? And now I'm starting to get a little more excited. I'm like, Mike, shoot him. (laughs) Well, there's a bunch of grass in front of us where we'd laid down and Mike's trying to find the bull in the scope through the grass and he's like, where is he? And and Mike has hearing aids and the wind's blowing. And so he's not hearing that well. So I'm having to talk really loud. Like, he's right there where he was when you missed him. Uh, and he, finally the bull tired of our shenanigans and walked off. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> moral of that story is brag about your shooting after the hunt. Oh, man. Not before. <laughs> Yeah, well, I can. But He didn't. He 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 redeemed himself the next night. We we'd seen some bulls later that the first day, and we couldn't get to him. So the next afternoon, we snuck over there. about a thirty mile an hour wind, and we got set up straight downwind from this one bull. And Mike drilled him right. I mean, how he hit that bull at two hundred, little over two hundred yards—absolutely perfect. But he shot over the back of that big one. <laughs> still, still scratching my head on that one. But uh, yeah. it, it it's going to make for some entertainment with the audience. Let's oh yeah. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> that that uh, that leads in really nicely to our hunt in Montana with you a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, because I uh, I can relate. What do you mean? To miss to missing an elk with a rifle. You didn't the tell only, me that. Only- the only difference is I didn't get a chance to redeem myself. All right, tell me again. What What happened? I,
0: you guys <laughs> separated from us, so is there a story here that I don't know about? Well, Donnie,
1: Donnie killed an elk in Montana yeah. while we were
0: rifle hunting. I know. We got. We, we, you guys went and packed them out with llamas while me and Matt, we stayed and broke down camp while you guys went and did the hard work.
1: Yep. Yeah, well, we were packing out that elk with llamas. It was just a painful reminder that, I actually missed that elk first. Wait, what do you got that to blame on? <laughs> Borrowed you, rifle. You, you don't even want to know. Okay. No, I, uh, right. I'm not a rifle guy, but I can, I can okay. shoot a rifle and that's, you know, I'm, there are guys who can shoot rifles way better than me, but I can go out to the range and I can dial in a rifle and I can hit steel out to 800 yards pretty consistently. Yeah. And, you know, if, if a rifle's dialed in and sighted in, and I know the range, and an elk's laying there, I'm pretty mm-hmm. confident at 377 yards.
0: I mean, that's pretty but long what I, shot. Wasn't,
1: what I wasn't confident in was the technology that I was using on this hunt. And I was oh. relying on technology a little too much. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scope didn't adjust like it was supposed to. And the scope was actually set on 650 yards instead of 377. So after my first shot and the bull didn't, you know, he he just looked around, I could tell I didn't hit him. I thought, well, I'm just going to use the holdover because at 377 yards shooting the caliber I was, it was about a 11 or 12 inch drop over the, or under the crosshair. And so I just held over and shot and missed again. And I turned to Donnie and said, you shoot him. Donnie Donnie shot him and killed him. And, and we got Uh, looking into it. And actually when we watched the video, when we got back to camp, the vapor trail was about four feet over the bull's back from that first shot. Oh, ouch. Yeah. So Uh. it, you know, obviously if it's set at 650 yards and he's 377, I think there's probably about 40 inches of drop. And I, I relied on technology at a, at a time and in, in a in an endeavor that I knew better than relying technology, and it bit me. So no uh, fault. Of, I mean, I, I made a great shot. I, I was so calm. I, <laughs> I, I made a great shot. The the gun and the bullet performed perfectly. It was just uh, me relying uh, too much on technology.
0: So, well. If it's if it was any consolation, when we got back that night, you heard my story that while Donnie was shooting his elk, I was shooting mine. Yeah. But a little bit of a side story is that bull was bugling on what day was it? November eighth, I believe yeah. I shot mine. Yeah. That was crazy. You don't so, get that very often. No. And the 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 side story even further is Matt Seidel from Onyx Maps the day before had shot a bull way back in there. And so for the listener, you and Donnie were going one way, and we were always going a different way. And so Matt and Marcus, my camera guy, say, well, you need to come with because if we see some more elk, you're going to want to shoot one. And bull the llama guy says, Well, yeah, we better bring six llamas <laughs> then instead of just two or three. That's optimistic. I said, Well, you guys are pretty op yeah, you guys are pretty optimistic. So we hike way back in there over the other side of the divide where Matt's elk is hanging in the trees. And about noon, we got a little fire going. Bo has made some of his dehydrated meals that he makes. And Matt says hey, there's a cow elk running out in the opening there. And we watch. It's way far away. Here comes a cow and a calf, another cow and a calf, two five points and six spikes, all chasing this one cow. Well, we watch for a long time, and I'm looking through the spotter. And I'm like, that bull is bugling. I, I know it's too far away and too windy for us to hear, but – and he climbs on top of her, and he's trying to take care of his business, and he's running all the other elk off. And uh, when I ended up shooting him, we made this huge loop. It was about, two, I don't know, two and a half, three hours to get over there. But he's locked up, jousting with the other five point, trying to see who's going to get this this cow that's in heat. And we we didn't hear him bugle. He got shot before he could let <laughs> out another bugle, but. Uh, <laughs> the the guys watching from afar said, I can't believe you shot that thing while he was locked up with another bolt. Well, it's not my fault. That's when he yeah. got into my shooting lane. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> what am I supposed to do? So, yeah, we had a, a great hunt down there. Yeah, uh, we, uh, we ended up killing, what, four elk in three days? Yeah. Yeah, Bo, the llama guy, he shot the biggest one. He did. And that was by accident. <laughs> he uh, he said, "I'll sit over here and keep an eye on on them, give you hand signals." So we make this big loop around the ridge, and a couple other hunters come in. Just you know how it is on public land, and they bump those elk and those elk. Instead of coming the way we thought they'd go, they went right to bow, and uh, so he shot it. Really, a nice six by seven
1: a and huge uh, six by seven. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. For for as much pressure as that place gets. That's uh that's an impressive elk that he shot. So Yep.
1: No, it was a great area. I, I mean I loved it, it's a great area to go to get into elk because Montana's got I mean, they not every state does everything right and Montana's got their issues, but after yeah. listening to the you know, the way they manage that, you can't shoot spikes and I don't what do we see? Fifteen or twenty spikes on in those four days? There were spikes everywhere they're protected they're safe and and what that turns into is the next season you have a crop of young five point bulls running everywhere and I think we saw more five points than we saw spikes by quite a few and yeah. you know the downside to it is like you said it's it's a general area it's pretty accessible for the most part. I mean yeah, you have to hike to get back into where the elk are, but you can spot elk from the roads yeah. sometimes and the, uh there's plenty of elk there, but you don't rarely get those mature bulls like that. We showed up the first yeah. night and, and Bo had shot his elk already. And you were telling us, oh, yeah, he shot a nice six point and, you know, just a, a nice one. And then Bo said, you want to see the antlers? And I'm like, of course I want to see the antlers. He went out and opened <laughs> the llama trailer and the antlers were there. And I was like, okay, this is... <laughs> this is not a nice six point. This is a giant six by seven.
0: Uh, yeah, the only downside for our YouTube channel is obviously with only one camera guy, the camera guy wasn't going to stay with Bo, who was just kind of guarding the back door. <laughs> so we, we don't have Bo's uh, shot on camera, but not not because somebody failed to hit the record button. Yeah, Just the fact that nobody (laughs) was there. No, that that hunt was the second week of rifle season. It was, what, November 5th through the 5th, 6th, and 7th, or 6th, 7th, and 8th, something like that. Uh, that, um, And classic late-season pattern. You know the elk are going to be back in the nasty spots. You know they're going to be in bachelor groups. And you just having something like llamas really gives you an advantage because where Matt shot his bowl and where I shot mine, there's no way we'd shoot two bulls that far back there without having a way to get them out of there. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, maybe excitement would have got the best of us and we would have shot them, but uh, having llamas sure sure made it easier.
1: Let's put it that way. Yep. No, you guys were, uh, you were hurting when you got back to camp that night. Yeah. And yeah. Was with it was, um,
0: <laughs> yeah. With llamas, we, uh, we got back to camp, I don't know, eight thirty, nine o'clock that night something like that. And I was, yeah,
1: I, I could feel that I'd walked a lot that day. Um, <laughs> but, oh well. but that was walking without an elk on your back. And yeah, there's something yeah, that was, about that.
0: Yeah, and we had six llamas with us that day. They easily handled two bull elk, two three these bulls that Matt and I shot. They're almost twins. They're three and a half year old bulls, and uh, the we one llama was empty. So we we had uh, five llamas with uh, two elk spread among them, and it was pretty easy
1: trucking for them. Yeah, no, it was impressive. And it made it a lot easier for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We went in to get Donnie's bowl that next day after he shot it. And that was my first experience of actually being around llamas and seeing them in action. Of course, you've been talking about it forever. And, yeah. you know, I take what you say with a grain of salt. And <laughs> I, I, uh, I have to... I have to give you credit there. They uh, they are everything you say they are. They're, and it wouldn't have been a bad pack. We were two miles in, and it was gradual downhill all the way back out. Yeah. But, man, load up the elk on there in three minutes, and they're loaded up, ready to go. They never even... Balked. They didn't, they just followed you along. You didn't have to lead them. We had a lead rope on them, but I never once had tension on the lead rope. They just followed right along. If you stop, they stop. They never once nudge you in the back. They never step on the back of your boot. You know, you go, they yeah. go. You don't have to tug on them, pull on them. And it was, I've uh, I've got some ideas for <laughs> llama use in the future.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, while we were on that hunt, it was my 55th birthday. And when you get to be 55, you your mind thinks of all kinds of ways to use llamas. So <laughs> uh, uh, give yourself about 10 more years, your, your llama imagination will expand over the next 10 years.
1: I'm looking forward to it because it's already going pretty good. Uh, uh, well, well, that's, that's pretty much the, uh, the elk season with one exception. And that was my Idaho archery hunt, which, mm-hmm. um, are you holding that out or yeah, is you oh, going to tell will, the audience? I will tell the audience. I killed an elk in Idaho with my bow. I had set a goal to shoot a mature six point, uh, with my bow in Idaho this year. And I missed a mature six point, uh, The next day we hunted after packing Jesse's bowl out and talk about deflated, just, you know, having a goal working, we climbed 3000 vertical feet that day and it took us five hours to get to this bowl after we had located him and everything was picture perfect. We got in, the wind was perfect. We had to work him. He wouldn't come in. We rushed him, got between him and his cows, screamed a bugle. He came firing up the hill to fight and it, Twenty-five yards, quartering away, I missed, and I won't give away all of the details went into that miss. But I will tell you right now, I wanted to cut the strings on my bow. Yeah, and you know, just looking back, last year I had a rough season. I missed a Roosevelt Bowl. I lost a bowl in Wyoming. Uh, this was my year of redemption, and missing that bowl was was painful. <laughs> Uh, but I've got good, a good hunting partner and a good camera guy that said, Hey, we've still got four days. No sweat. Yeah. We worked hard for this and it didn't work out, but tomorrow's a new day and we might find another one bigger. And we did. And, uh, the next, next day we found a bigger bull again. He was back in a ways and he was with cows and we struggled to get in on him, but, uh, we had a plan for the next day to, to go in there and capitalize knowing where he was at and he was very vocal and very aggressive and. Um, if, if you've followed my Instagram at all, you've seen the picture of that bull at four yards from me with his lips curled. And, uh, we, we had an incredible encounter with that bull the next day at four yards and, um, I'll just say we packed elk that day <laughs> and uh, you've got to watch that episode. It's, it's the coolest footage we've ever captured. And uh, I've never seen, I've, I've seen video camera or uh, trail camera pictures and videos of elk hissing at each other. Uh, I've never had one that aggressive, that close hissing in my face at four yards. Yeah. I, I, you showed
0: me the footage, and I've I've never seen anything like that.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's awesome, and and you know it's the bull that we had kind of set our sights on after missing the the first one, and it's a big mature Idaho six point. So, cool. Yeah. Well, I I
0: would add another piece to our elk season, but I didn't ask Marcus to film this. He went out. and He said, "Yeah, I'm going to go shoot an elk tomorrow." He went out and he shot an elk the next day. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't film it. And then he came back to the office and he said, hey, Dan, I know there's some more bulls if you want to go kill one tomorrow. So Dan went out the next day and he shot a bull there. So those guys didn't film it. I didn't give them instruction to film it. So I, I think Mark, well, Marcus's job is safe. Because he filmed him and his wife. But these other three guys, Dan and Michael and Dale, they, they, this was their one mulligan. Next September, they're better be, September is 30 days long, there better be 30 days of elk hunting footage. <laughs> no matter where I'm at and what I'm doing,
1: or we will be looking for three new people. <laughs> Well, and we yeah. we did have uh, one more outing as well that I forgot to mention. We got to be involved with the hunt of a lifetime hunt once again, Cool. and uh, just those those experiences are priceless. And you can count on me blocking out that first week of October every year for the rest of my life to be able to to be involved with those. It was just, you know, it's elk hunting is elk hunting, and that's phenomenal on its own. But when you get to Get outside yourself, which, you know, we have a hard time doing. There's no doubt. There is a a selfish bone that wants to hunt every day of elk season for ourselves. Um, But when you do make that decision to do it for someone else, and especially someone like uh, 12-year-old Anthony, who came out from Louisiana, he has cystic fibrosis. And, you know, he's never never heard an elk bugle, never seen an elk in the wild or in person at all. And we shared our passion with him uh, and had, those hunts are successful whether we fill a tag or not, Yeah. but knock on wood, we have not walked away from one of those hunts without filling a tag. And uh, this one was no exception, an incredible call in. He made an incredible shot and, it just solidifies to us the, the need to be able to share that passion with others and not get locked in on ourselves. So it's a good realignment for us every year to remind ourselves of what we do and why we do it and how blessed we are. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to finish out the destination elk series with that hunt just because it is the, the capstone to our season every year, even if it's not the last hunt of the season.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys doing that. It's, uh, I, I get to hear about it I see the pictures uh, it's a remarkable opportunity that you make available to these people
1: and i I thank you and admire you guys for doing it well and it's we it'd be really easy to say you know we we're doing it for the right reasons but honestly it's for us because there is so much reward in that for us that yeah obviously we're doing it to to share that with them but we get so much more out of it than anything we put into it that that's, uh, we'll be doing it every year. We had, uh, Austin who hunted with us two years ago. He passed away this year, had a brain tumor and, uh, He's uh, the one that dang it. he shot that giant seven by eight and, and he offered a prayer as we, you know, got up there to it. And in his prayer, he said, God, please, please yeah. bless these men to be able to continue helping out people like me. And I told him after that prayer, I said, I promise you right now, as long as God keeps giving us people like you to be able to hunt with, I will do this for the rest of my life. And I don't foresee that ever changing. Oh, that would be, yeah. That would be
0: meaningful in every way. It is. Yeah. So, well, I, I wish I could tell my wife that my season is coming to an end, but I leave <laughs> tomorrow for Wyoming. My Uncle Larry, uh, 73 years old, 12-year uh, experimental chemo patient, uh, had a heart attack in April and a stroke last week. Uh He called me over the weekend. He said, "I'm going." I said, "Well, what do you want me to do with you if you tip over out there?" Ah, heck, just leave me out there," he said. So uh, it'll it'll be interesting because twelve years of chemo has created neuropathy in his feet so bad that he really he can't feel his feet much. So uh, it's tough sledding for him. But he's bound to determine he's going out hunting, regardless of what his wife and love you, Mary uh, my one of my favorite aunts, but we're taking him out there, Mary. so uh, uh, we'll do our best to bring him home, but no promises uh, And uh, he just it's fun to to hang out with somebody who's been through what he has and have the attitude that hey, Hunting is something that's really a highlight in my life, and I'm going to go do it. I don't care if I have a new stent. I don't care about this cancer, and I don't care that I had a a mini stroke, a TIA last week. I'm coming. So be there to pick me up at the airport in (laughs) Casper. (laughs) You got to admire that attitude
1: for sure. Yeah,
0: so we're doing that one, and then Marcus and I have uh, tags for December. Uh, I have a an either sex tag and the other cow tag, so we'll be back in Wyoming in December. Wow! And then our elk season, our elk season, will be over at that point. not you say? You're going to Hopefully, Arizona? my marriage isn't over at that point. Didn't you say you're going to What's Arizona? That? Yeah, in between that, I'm going to Arizona. I have a coos deer tag.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, if you need a place to stay for a
0: while, you, uh, you know you're welcome here. Uh, well, I hope I don't have to take you up on that offer. (laughs) Well, I apologize to the, to, to the audience that we've been absent as much as we have. We're going to start getting back on the regular schedule, uh, sorting through all the comments and ideas that come in from the website and people will start getting their fill of the Elk Talk podcast again. Totally. Yep. No, and it and was, hopefully uh, this new technology works, works. If you hear anything funky in this, folks, we went out and bought some new remote technology to do this with. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. And we're already, you know, there's there's slight issues. There's a little delay here between me talking and you. Or the other direction, it's it's just fine. But for whatever reason, got a little delay. But it uh, technology is a crazy thing to be able to sit remotely like this and have a conversation that we can automatically is uploaded and shared with other people is pretty awesome yeah
0: pretty cool I uh, I don't know what we want to do for our next topics but uh, spoiler alert I shot a wolf last week
1: oh yeah let's uh, let's talk about wolf hunting okay
0: I'm happy to talk about it But you're probably going to have to throttle me back when we start talking about the fact that right now Colorado has a ballot initiative. It looks like it got enough signatures to get on the ballot about introducing wolves in Colorado. So I'm going to take a pill. I'm going to show up under sedation for that podcast because, uh, there's just so many things about ballot box biology, as they call it. So many things about just, yeah. <clears throat> we, we know you and I living in ground zero here of where the uh, the wolves got released uh, in 1995. We've seen the consequences, and we've seen what it's like with the fact that we actually have hunting and trapping seasons, Where we get Idaho, Montana, we get to do something about it. But in Colorado, I have this great suspicion that once those wolves are on the ground, they're not going to have. Well, I think isn't public land trapping already illegal in Colorado? If I remember that, yeah. So I don't know how they're going to manage them. Uh, So. Anyhow, no, we better no. save that for the next podcast. I was going to
1: say, let's uh, let's regroup here and we'll record another podcast. So join us in the next podcast, and we're going to talk about the wolf debate and how it relates to elk hunting and all those good things. and And hear a story from Randy about the wolf he just shot. Yeah.
0: Hey, Al. Thanks for being here, folks. Sure appreciate it. I'm going to stop this podcast, and the, the danger here is that this is new software. That once I hit stop, if Corey and I don't know how to do this at the end, this entire conversation could be deleted, and you've
1: never heard it. So, if you're hearing it, we won. <laughs>